Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. Given its population of just 25 million people and its remote geographical location, Australia might seem like an unlikely hub for the world's greatest thinkers. But in recent years, the country has produced a vibrant intellectual commons, thanks not only to Quillette, which is based in Sydney, but also the city's popular Festival of Dangerous Ideas and Think Inc., a leading intellectual touring company founded and run by entrepreneur and film producer Susie Jamil, which brings the world's leading minds to Australia and New Zealand to spread knowledge on science, politics, race, religion, and social equality. Speakers including Sam Harris, Jane Goodall, Richard Dawkins, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Recently, Miss Jamil and Quillette Editor-in-Chief Claire Lehman announced that they'd be joining forces to present a series of speaking events under the banner of Free Thought Live, with the first virtual event featuring American academic and writer John McWhorter, whose forthcoming book will answer the question, Has Social Justice Become a Religion? This week, Claire sat down to speak with Miss Jamil about Think Inc., Free Thought Live, and the joys and challenges of hosting the world's greatest minds so many time zones away from the salons of New York and London. Here are excerpts from their conversation. Welcome, Susie. Hi, Claire. So good to be here. Now, you've toured some amazing individuals. Ed Snowden, Cornel West, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sam Harris, Majid Nawaz, Julian Assange, Richard Dawkins, Chelsea Manning, Douglas Murray, and Jonathan Haidt. How have you managed to secure all of this talent to tour in Australia of all places? That list brings back so many good memories. Securing talent is not always the most difficult part because we have a great track record, which I'm so proud of, and people have instilled their faith in me. So securing them is only difficult when they're the types of people that, you know, might not find it as valuable to speak to masses of people and who have maybe too much money for you to offer them that as a temptation, you know? (laughs) Sure, sure. I imagine it costs quite a lot to get people out to Australia if you include airfares, accommodation. There must be some very large upfront fees. Mm, Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges. And a lot of people think that I'm absolutely mad for doing what I do because it's such a high-risk business. So, you know, without getting into the nitty-gritty, essentially paying all the upfront fees and then taking the punt that, we're going to sell enough tickets to be able to recoup that amount of money is very challenging. Following that is paying for venues, which is incredibly expensive, but the risk often will pay off if you do your job well and if you promote well enough. But, oh boy, like it's not always easy and you're not always going to win. I think of my tours just like a Drake tour uh, <laughs> or any hip-hop artist, except I'm touring intellectuals. So, right. you know, it's, and it's very much modelled on that in mm. regards to the way that I market. So my target demographic is 16 to 35-year-olds, and so I market my tours 
like a like a hip-hop gig like a Drake yeah. concert would yeah. in regards to you know street posters bus backs the language that we use the type of artwork that we create because I really believe that young people are the change makers for the future and yeah. I'm really proud that that's 60 percent of our demographic and so there's a huge parallel it taps into my other passion one of my passions is intellectual ideas yeah. you know nerding out and the other side is hip-hop street culture and yeah. you know collecting sneakers so Yeah, because if you go to many intellectual events or book events, it's generally the white hair brigade, you know, (laughs) middle-aged people, very white, uh, lots of retirees, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but you bring a bit more diversity and your crowds reflect Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. The company is run by someone who's of Middle Eastern Mediterranean heritage, and so I try and infuse that into what I do. But I like to bring a diverse crowd, a young crowd, because ultimately that's a reflection of Australia, and I'm really proud of that. You've toured a few speakers who have religion as one of their main topics, like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and you produced the film Islam and the Future of Tolerance. How did you get interested in Islam? My background, my mom is is Christian and my dad's family is actually Muslim. And so I was raised in this world in between where I was kind of pulled and pushed in between both. Um, And I ended up an atheist. I'm quite proud of that. But religion has always been something that I've been very interested about, something that even through school I would nerd out and just read about for hours and hours as I was growing up. And I wrote a couple of major works on it just because I was so interested in it also empowering people that live their lives with religion in a moderate way, really the empowerment of that. Because ultimately what I want to be able to do is platform conversations that might be difficult to have with people that you disagree with. And I think a good way to do that is by providing environments where it's safe to have those conversations and equipping people with the right type of dialogue and discourse for them to go out and have these conversations. And so it's not about really this empowerment of religion it's about empowerment of people living their lives in the way that they want to but you know sometimes highlighting that religion might not be for everyone and might not always be the path forward and that's probably stemming from some of my personal views. There's a, a trend or a theme in your events and that is of conversation and moderation. I became aware of the work that you did when Douglas Murray was out in Australia and he was touring with Dr Cornell West. Now Dr Cornell West is a socialist or being well on the left Mm. politically and obviously Douglas Murray is a conservative but you brought these two men together and you hosted a tour Mm. where they found common values, their shared interests and things that they have in common Mm. and that's, I mean, if you think about that, that's incredibly rare in this day and age where things have become so hyper-politicised and partisan to actually bring people together of different political backgrounds. What did you learn from hosting that event? Yeah, that event was called Polarised and the reason I chose those two men um, to be involved in the tour is I'd met them both. I toured Dr West in 2015 and I met Douglas a couple of times and I knew that they were just such gentlemen and such loving, caring people but I knew they were on opposite sides of the political spectrum and I did not by any means want to present a debate between them. That was not my intention. My intention was to actually sit them on the same side of the stage and have them converse and have them have conversations, even though they might disagree, show people how you don't have to throw fisticuffs in order to advance um, the conversation. You can do it by sitting down and finding common ground. Mm. And it was it was fascinating to see how the audience reacted to it. I think it's one of the tours I'm most proud of um, because I think it did really showcase that 
intention, but it wasn't easy. And we had pushback in, in different cities. We had people from different sides of the political sphere coming to our shows and some of which were shoved outside the venue. And I had to ensure that they were looked after and security was taking care of them. And, and so it wasn't easy. I only heard good things about that event. So it's a credit to you that that was so well pulled off. But talking about controversies that your shows have triggered, I was reading yesterday that in one of your shows, the federal police had to show up because there was some kind of terrorist threat. <laughs> was that the show with Majid Nawaz? Yeah, that's right. So, of course, a priority for me at all my shows is the safety and security of my team and um, the, the venue staff and all of the patrons and, of course, the talent. And so to me, it's very important if we have any types of threats to ensure that the police are involved. And when I chose to tour Sam Harris, we chose to bring Majid Nawaz along, who was an absolute treat, because they'd just written the book together, the book Islam and the Future of Tolerance, of which my film is based. Before they came to Australia, we had a couple of threats against Majid's life, which was very frightening. And so we ensured that we had the police come through. Uh We had the bomb dogs come through, make sure that they went through the venue, making sure that everything was safe. We held the event um, at the Enmore Theatre. We held one of the events with Majid at the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. And we had all of Newtown Police Force at the front, essentially escorting us in and out of the venue to ensure his safety. And so it's not always... It's not always easy business, but when you're talking big ideas, people oftentimes might not agree with what you have to say or ideas that you're presenting. But like I mentioned, we have to do what we have to do in order to progress the conversation. Have you had any other big controversies? I toured Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, Chelsea Manning. I'm pretty sure that all my phone lines are tapped. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not always, it doesn't have to be the case that all the ideas that someone has, I have to agree with. It's about platforming them. Um, We had a lot of controversy around the tour that we were going to run with Ayan Hersiali, per se. There was a lot of petitions put out to ensure she didn't make it into Australia. There was people calling the venues, threatening that they were going to protest. The police already had recorded protests. So there was a lot of controversy around that. And that ended up pushing it over the line and security announcing that she wouldn't tour because of that, which was incredibly disappointing because she's a hero of mine and I think that she should be someone that is provided a platform. But in that instance, we couldn't do it. So I really hope Ayan does, when she feels comfortable, come back to Australia because she's a voice that needs to be heard. And who was protesting her? A lot of Islamic groups, okay, mostly, which was a bit disappointing to me because I'm really open-minded when it comes to a range of different ideas and it would have been ideal if me and them had had the conversation sure. and we could discuss what we could do to work collaboratively or we could have provided opportunities for them to converse with Ayan. But unfortunately, it didn't work out in that way. And I encourage people, if there is a tour that I'm running or if there are controversial ideas that I put out there, talk to me about it because I'm really up to hearing about it and discussing it with you and I'm very open-minded. So really up for that. And you're sort of a rare breed in this day and age in that you're willing to platform people who you don't necessarily agree with 100%. What do you make of this trend that we particularly see in the United States, for example, where people can't be on stage with someone they don't agree with. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. I mean, such high regard for you, Claire, but there's lots of that that we don't agree on. And that doesn't mean that we can't go have lunch and sit and have this podcast and, and talk ideas because your objections and your thoughts inform me and progress my ideas. And so that's the only way that we're going to be able to make a change 
by only being presented with people that you agree with, you create an echo chamber. And this ultimately leads to us not hearing the other side, which Mm. ultimately leads to the election of someone like Donald Trump. So we have to be really careful and thoughtful about this. Yeah, dialogue is important. Now, the most recent boycott or controversy you've had was Peter Singer. Tell us about what happened there. Yeah, I was really, really surprised that Peter Singer was so controversial (laughs) to some people. (laughs) Um, You know, Peter Singer is someone that I've admired for a very, very long time because of the way that his mind works and the way that he justifies his thinking. And he is one of the world's most renowned philosophers. And so when the venue in New Zealand sent me an email announcing that they were no longer going to give him the platform of using their venue, I was shocked that venue was actually a casino. And I was like, (laughs) it's a little funny where we draw our standards, isn't it? But I was so pleased to see so many other venues reaching out and saying, Mm. Susie, really happy to back you, really happy to host Peter here. Ultimately, it came down to the media reporting on Peter Singer's views around disability. But in the media report, if you do read that media report, you see that they say he should have a platform and Mm. we will go and protest. And I agree with that. Mm. Someone can have a platform and you can disagree with them and you can go and protest and that's no problem. But to say no, they can't have a platform, that's the issue I I really had with it. Yeah. And there's a difference between a scholar and a philosopher and then someone who's deliberately trying to provoke agitation in the community. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's people that I wouldn't tour who are just provocateurs yeah. <laughs> and it's great if they make their living in that way it's just not someone that I would choose to provide a platform for so you, your speakers have to be of a more serious orientation rather than yes. performative correct we have that same guide when it comes to Quillette some of our articles that we publish are controversial but they're handled in a serious and respectful manner, not in a deliberately provocative manner. Absolutely. And you provide balance too. We try to, yes. So tell me how the horrible pandemic affected the industry. How have you managed to stay afloat during COVID-19? Wow, (laughs) a pandemic. (laughs) It's been seven years for me since we started the company and that's a long time to be doing the same thing. I've dedicated my life to it. I started when I was 22 years old. I pretty much don't know anything else. And um, all of the mistakes I made, I was able to take responsibility for if they were financial, if they were whatever. But this one was out of my control. And I just did not expect this, you know, to come and totally essentially wipe out our industry. It's meant that essentially no live events are able to be run which include crowds of people and how do you run an an event which includes two three four thousand people if we can't be with each other in the Mm. same room and socially distanced events yes are picking up but it's incredibly difficult to balance that along with venue expenses and and all the rest if you can only have one third of your or one quarter of your capacity and it also means that I can't bring anyone from overseas to Australia (laughs) which is essentially the essence of what what we're trying to do here is to showcase international minds and so I'm very lucky that I have Peter Singer coming up as one of the speakers of Think Inc. And he is based in Victoria. At the rec- at the time of the recording of this podcast, unfortunately, Victoria is still in lockdown, mm. which means I still don't know whether we're going to be able to execute. But I am staying on track, keeping all my fingers crossed and hoping for the best for that. But 
I guess a, a little bit of positivity when I was speaking to my ticketing platform, uh, Humanitics, who I use to sell tickets to my event, it was mentioned that once New Zealand opened up, mm. once they were COVID free and they opened up, a lot of people wanted to get back to events. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's what will happen here as well. Um, I'm hoping that people will still have that thirst to go out and be with each other and, and associate at events. Maybe the demand will come back stronger. I really hope it will. But also we have to remember that there's going to be an overflow of events once we're able to run events. So that's another thing we have to think about. And I'm very much about collaborating rather than competing. So I'm very happy to work with other promoters in order to run events together. I'm really hoping for all the best once we find this vaccine and, and we're ready to go again. Now, you mentioned competitors. Another event company that was sort of in the same space as you and there were some stories of events being cancelled and people not being paid and then people not getting refunds on their tickets. And uh, it looked, from the outside looking in, it looked like the, the individual running the company was out of their depth. The number one rule is you always pay your talent. And the number two rule is you always refund your guests if you are not going to execute an event. There's no excuse to step outside that etiquette. And I really hope that that hasn't left a bad taste in people's mouths when it comes to attending intellectual events. Who who would you love to tour in Australia but you haven't had the opportunity to tour yet? I don't have to think twice about that. It's Elon Musk. Oh, really? (laughs) I would love to tour Elon Musk. Uh, I think that... His ideas are revolutionary and um, I think that he could really add a lot of value here. And Mm. I think, Elon, when I meet you, because I know you listen to Claire's podcast, you're really going to fall in love with me and you're going to want to do this. (laughs) Elon Musk is one. Bill Gates, Melinda Gates. uh, They're such impressive people. And so people on that level, like Steven Pinker. Yeah. He's an absolute legend and he's someone that I've got my eye on. Yuval Noah Harari. I see you, Yuval Noah Harari. (laughs) You will do this with me eventually. (laughs) So definitely there's a lot out there. Always open to suggestions. So hit me up and let me know who all you are listening to and reading because I want to know about it. What are some of the mistakes that you've made in your career trajectory and how you've bounced back and learned and grown from them? I've made so many mistakes, Claire. <laughs> no, um, I didn't start my career knowing anything about business. I have a degree in communications and mm-hmm. I have a degree in law. So I had to learn business from scratch. Yep. I had to learn how to pull together a budget. I had to learn you know, how to market. I got taken advantage of. All, all of those things have happened uh, in, in those early years and you only learn through trial and error. I really believe that. I've run tools. I've lost lots of money and being able to bounce back I think is the most important thing you can learn as an entrepreneur um, or as a human being to Mm. be able to get yourself back up wake up the next day and say all right we're gonna we're gonna go at this again yeah because that's not the end and continue to be mission focused because that's the only way you can get through it many many sleepless nights and many many tears shed but you know at the end of the day that builds resilience and I'm really proud of that. I've experienced the same in my trajectory. It's it's all about when you get knocked down, just standing up again as quickly as you can and just getting back on the mat and having another go. Day to day, I see you getting up there and, and standing back up when people try to knock you down. So I definitely look up to you. Have you found any challenges through being on the younger side and also being female? Yes. I refused to put my face on the website for years. It was yeah. only maybe a year and a half ago that 
fi- finally someone convinced me that I should put my face on the website. And, and, why, I, and why is that? Well, because I thought no one's going to take me seriously. Look at me. I'm Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, ethnic girl from the inner west of Sydney. Um, I was 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, my hair's huge, you know, my big curly hair. Like, I was like, who's going to think, oh, yeah, she's capable of doing this. But you know what? My actions speak louder than you know, what I look like, what mm. my capability, I feel, exceeded what someone would stereotypically think when they saw me. Um, and I also, I don't, I don't dress like a typical businesswoman, you know, I'm, I'm, I wear sneakers and mm. snapbacks. And that, I think, builds the identity of the brand. And it's so important, because it feeds into everything that I do, and how I see myself. And I think the only reason I've been so successful at this is because I've maintained that authenticity. And I said to you before we started recording, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to be here talking to my Westie accent. And, and normally you speak to intellectuals, and I'm okay being me. Yeah. Um, but that hasn't always been easy. It's I'm not what people expect when they think of who should be running this company. I don't always do it in the way that people think is the right way to do it. But at the end of the day, I think that maintaining that authenticity and staying true to who I am has given me enough power and support to continue to do it and has allowed me to maintain my passion. That sounds pretty inspirational to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you see yourself doing events for the next 10 years? I don't know, Claire. Maybe I'll go off and get a PhD and become an academic. Or maybe Please I... don't. <laughs> or maybe I'll get married and become a housewife. I don't know. And mm. none of those options, I think, are bad options. I think even if I stay in the industry, it'll be, it will be great. But to be honest with you, I one thing that I'm really seriously focused on is growing and building in, I guess, in the shorter term. I mean, within the next 10 years, I guess, to me is shorter term. I'm 29. So, you know, before I turn 40, it would be great to grow the business out because there is a big market there. Mm. And whether that's growth just within Australia, whether that's growing our team, being able to run more tours per year, whether that's collaboration with larger promoter or, or what that might be, I don't exactly know yet. But I'm really up for that conversation at the moment. And I I love the idea of potentially accepting some investment to grow and expand. Have you not accepted any investment yet? So So you've been doing this for seven years, completely bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So now might be the time because I think that might be a a way for us to grow and expand. What's um, your email, Susie? (laughs) My email is susie, S-U-Z-I, at thinkinc, that's C-H-I-N-K-I-N-C dot org dot A-U. As we wrap up, it's worth mentioning that Susie and I are collaborating on a live event series called Free Thought Live. Can you tell us a bit about that, Susie? Absolutely. I'm so excited to be uh, co-presenting this with Quillette because I think that I can't believe it's taken us so long to do this. It's, um, it's so exciting and the response from it has been remarkable. I'm really proud of that. To register for the shows, this is for free, and you can also buy a ticket to meet the talent as well in a private salon session. And afterwards, we're going to have an after party where people can come together and talk about what they saw. It's like, you know, going to the pub after you go to see a show at the theatre and just talk ideas. So I'm excited about the format. I'm thrilled that our brands are collaborating and that we're able to support the Quillette brand. And I'm just really excited to see everyone there. We're going to have such a great show. So the first speaker is John McWater, and we're keeping the other speakers under wraps for now but we've got some really exciting original amazing thinkers coming up and Susie's developed this model where people can join 
Zoom chat rooms together and on different topics and discuss like you would at the pub. Uh, we really want to recreate the kind of social connections that have been decimated by the pandemic and give people a bit of edutainment. Absolutely. Who better to do it? If not us, then who, Claire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at it from the outside looking in, two Australian women exporting ideas and intellectual events is, is an interesting phenomenon, unusual. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Susie. And Susie's website is susiejamil.com and the Think Inc. website is thinkinc.org. And to get involved with upcoming events, go to thinkinc.org and register. And the next event series that's coming up is in collaboration with Quillette. So if you haven't already registered for that one, head over to the Think Inc. website. It is a free event and the first speaker is John McWhorter and we're really excited about platforming him and giving him an opportunity to speak to our readers. Thank you so much for joining us, Susie. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much, Claire. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.